when you're operating outside of your zone of genius or an area that you want to be your zone of genius, you can end up just spending a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money. And by the end of it, you know, you're working uh, on something you're not passionate about. It's not getting done. You're spending a lot of time on it. It's not getting out the door. Welcome to the No Fat Cats podcast, where we help high-performing teams get even better. I'm sitting down here in Stewart, Florida with Colin Belt from Belt Creative. Uh, my family and I were taking a vacation through Florida, and uh, Colin was strategically located between kind of the Daytona Beach and the Keys, and so I decided why not swing by, meet up with Colin, who uh, even though we've worked together for at least uh, two years, uh, at two, least. two and a half years, yeah, um, we'd actually never met in person, even though we've obviously spent a number of hours on Google Hangouts, mm-hmm. um, going back and forth on the phone with things, um, but we never met in person, so I decided, hey, why don't we swing by, take advantage of the opportunity, uh, in the fact that I'm in Florida, and uh, you know, despite the fact that technology would allow us to do this through Zoom, you know, there is something nice about occasionally having the, the podcast interviews uh, you know, back and forth. I know with this podcast, I've debated whether to go you know, exclusively via Zoom or just in person, um, but I decided to lean with a hybrid of both. Um, and whenever you can meet in person, um, why not? So. <laughs> That's uh, exactly how I feel about uh, when I do stuff with my team, too. If I can meet in person, awesome. Um, otherwise, it's pretty much online. No, absolutely. And sometimes you, uh, you know, I think, especially when you look at the cost of travel, the cost of moving places, um, you know, anytime you can do online stuff and especially doing video, you know, just have those face-to-face connections, it's it's always better. But I'm here I am with Colin Belt, um, who leads uh, Belt Creative, a design agency. And um, we're here a little bit to talk about um, kind of team dynamics. I know Colin has been a, a valuable part our team for the last several years, um, starting kind of with with the website. And so um, to start off, I'd love to get a little bit, Colin, first off, I know you've kind of gone through the journey of, you know, very talented at, you know, video and motion graphics, but you've kind of started to refine your focus and ability to say uh, no to things to exclusively focus on what is your core competency. So tell us a little bit, what, what do you currently do? Oh, yeah. So I would say uh, currently have uh, distinctly uh, hone down Belt Creative service offerings to uh, the stuff that we're really great at. Um, and that would be websites. We also do um, social media management, digital ads. And finally, uh, we do proposal design using a software called Proposify. Um, and that's really sort of our, our bread and butter. It's our thing that makes us unique. And that's usually how people find us because uh, Proposify is kind of a niche software right now. Um, so people do a Google search for that and they find us and we're able to help them with these other services. Um, but it definitely wasn't always this way. Uh, I would say when I originally started um, my first business, it was called Ice Nine Studios. Um, and the idea there was that we could help every small business with every single one of their marketing needs. Um, so we did video editing, we did animation, we did sound recording, uh, you name it, and we did it. And um, the the phrase, a jack of all trades, master of none was, was very true there. And that was a hard uh, first lesson in business. But um, I think it's translated to being a much better focus from a business today. Yeah, I think I think when everyone's starting off, I mean, some people know immediately that, you know, you want to do everything. And, and even if, let's say, you start off as a photographer or you start off as a designer, you know, doing video, you know, you start saying yes to everything. I know in my case, at one point I started in video. I was like, yes, I'll do your wedding. Yes, I'll do your music video. Um, yes, we'll try doing this you know, live event. And then after a while, you just realize, you know you just don't enjoy everything and not, or you're not good at everything. 
Um, and it can be a little bit hard because if, if you don't know what you, you want to do, you almost do need to try doing a little bit of everything. First. Uh, that's what I was going to say is that I, I feel like that's a part of the process, almost like uh, when you're first starting out there is uh, i think some value in saying yes to everything because that's how you can you can learn what you do enjoy what you're good at um but i think there's also a certain point maybe after you've been doing things for about a year where you really need to sit down and say okay these are my absolutely amazing clients these are the projects that i absolutely excelled in and these are the ones that ended up taking forever because i hated the work um and that's i think a good first step for narrowing your focus and finding your zone of genius you know cuz i know initially now, in that vein of starting to say yes to everything, eventually you, you realize that not all clients, like some clients are just, they're just a pain. Or <laughs> and, yeah. and usually, I, sometimes it's the clients that have least amount of money that like, oh, I really want to help, help this person because they don't have much money. But in the end, they can be uh, like micromanaging and, and hard to work with. Um, and so I know for me, part of that process has been figuring out, all right, there are times that I do enjoy helping some of those clients that don't have much money, but I need to figure out what space that's going to be um, if, if you just want to actually survive and be profitable as a business. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, and I, I think you kind of, you, after, after being in business for about a year or so, you start to, you start to be able to pick up on sort of what those signs are. Cause y- you know, you, you might come across someone and they don't have quite the budget, but they are the right client. They are the exactly the kind of person that you want to work with. So it might be worth taking them up on it. Um, but if you come across someone, um, where, you know, they don't quite have the budget, you're not sure if they're the right fit. Um, I, my advice to people is always trust your gut. If your first instinct says run, then run. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, yeah. Getting to trust your gut is one of those things that, um, it happens with time. And cause there have been a few times I'm like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if I trust this, this person, or I had that feeling, um, and not trusting your guy, honestly, it's like, it's like, it's really expensive. I mean, there's one point where a guy was trying to talk me into this project and, um, and so I agreed, I was like, oh, this sounds could be kind of cool. But in my gut, I was saying like, yeah, don't, don't do this video project series or test. Um, but I was like, well, Hey, I'll do it. If someone else wants to do it, I ended up, um, kind of putting together like a pitch concept and a video and hired this person to put together a, um, like a, a proposal and a template because this guy wanted it. Even though I was like, ah, I don't know. But in the way, it just didn't work out, didn't go anywhere. And honestly, I, I lost like $3,000 in terms of like paying other people, renting gear or what I could have been done. And so if I had trusted my gut, I would have saved uh, saved myself a bit, bit right there. Yeah, and it, and it can be scary, especially, you know, if you are running a small creative team, you might have limited budget, you might be looking at your financials and thinking, oh, you know, do I, I, I really need this money to keep uh, everyone's paychecks going out. Um, I, I, I literally had a client like that, um, I'd say last week, uh, they wanted to pay me five grand to build out a sales funnel. And I thought, oh, this is a really good opportunity. This would be, you know, a, a good way to get some cash in the door. Um, but then after having conversations with this person, I kind of realized, you know what, what they're offering is kind of scammy. And that doesn't jive with uh, my moral compass. It doesn't jive with what I'm passionate about. And I just know that if I go with this, I might get the money in the short term, but I'm going to be kicking myself in the long term. And I, I think that's the kind of integrity and long term vision for your team you have to keep in mind. No, absolutely. And I know at at times it can definitely be hard to say no to those projects when you're like, oh, well, the money looks tempting early on. Um, But but eventually building that moral compass for yourself um, and also being able to trust your gut are just two incredibly important things for 
um, yeah, for, for being successful over the long term. And I think you, I felt like you've always been a, a few steps ahead of me in terms of the um, ability to say no and kind of refine your focus, um, where I've tended to be a little bit, a little bit all over the place at times. I mean, I suppose keeping within the video, but I know that's one of the things I really enjoyed about, about our friendship is that you can kind of say like, you know, help, help that refining process a little bit and be like, Oh, I shouldn't really be doing everything, but really should be kind of focusing down a little bit. Um, so I would love to hear too, a little bit as you, um, as teams are looking, there's always this dilemma. All right. Do we hire someone in house to do something? Do we bring someone who's in house and let them, who's an employee, maybe on salary and have them do this job or do we contract things out? So, uh, I know initially early on, I definitely made a few mistakes of, people that I probably should have brought on as a contractor for a job, job project. Um, I was like, Oh, I'll make them employee. Cause in theory, um, you know, it'll be better and I can get them at a cheaper rate if I in house. But in the end, you know, sometimes it, I would have been better off just hiring them as a contractor. How do you go about that process of thinking through, um, first for how do you recommend other people, whether they should do something in house? Cause especially with Squarespace, with, you know, websites like Wix and all the tutorials out there, people could literally figure it out themselves. How do you walk people through that process of how to think? And so obviously we're not necessarily trying to just say, go to Colin, though. I mean, I personally go to Colin, <laughs> but how do people decide, you know, whether to do something, you know, by themselves or hire it out? Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I suppose I would kind of take things back to the, the concept of the zone of genius, um, where if, if there's a task or or something that's a part of your business that you really want to get good at, something that is going to deliver big value for your business moving forward, um, and something that you're going to do often enough, then absolutely it's worth training yourself or training someone on your team how to do those things. Um, so for example, um, if a big part of your business is doing marketing for yourself and you're interested in learning how to do marketing for others, then yeah, it's worth doing the investment um, to, to train yourself, train someone on your team, what have you. Um, but where it gets a little bit dicey is um, when you're operating outside of your zone of genius or an area that you want to be your zone of genius, um, it, it can get really dicey because uh, you can end up just spending a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money uh, paying for people's salaries to learn these skills, um, it can quickly snowball into this thing. And by the end of it, you know, you're working uh, on something you're not passionate about, it's not getting done, you're spending a lot of time on it, it's not getting out the door. Um, and it also can end up pulling a lot of energy from your other projects. And I think that's a key thing here, too. Um, if if spending time on teaching yourself, say, how to, how to build a website, because that's the example we're going with here, <laughs> um, is spending a lot of time teaching yourself or someone on your team how to build your website is going to pull away your focus from um, developing your core services and the things that are going to deliver extreme value to your clients. Then you're doing yourself and your business and your clients a disservice by not bringing on someone who is a specialist in those things. Because um, ultimately, you're trading um, you're trading your time and your expertise on something that's not going to deliver results for your business. Yeah. And I know on my end, so, so, my, so for example, the first website I did, um, you know, was when I was first starting off and I think I did it, did my own, I was using Squarespace, no WordPress. Um, you know, initially, and I, at the time I you knew I didn't have very much money at all. Um, and, and so I was a bit low on time. Like I had more available, more time available just because I was starting off. But then eventually as I was, um, had, I had a few employees on, on, on staff and, you know, I said, Oh, well, I'll just have them do a website when they do it. And then when I looked at, you know, the amount of time they spent, 
it was an area outside of at first i was like oh well maybe if we do websites later on it's good to have the skill but the truth is you know we didn't end up doing any websites and and when i look at the amount of time i paid that person on staff to do it yeah you know it ended up being like i mean it took over the course of several months and ended up being probably i mean maybe two to three thousand dollars and then at the end i had to pay someone to help fix some mistakes that they weren't able to do um because they're like this is outside of my scope in terms of ability and yeah just i would have been way more efficient having them say let's have you focus on your core competency and um get someone else who can who can really do things um and i think everyone in that creative space is going to have things that they're really good at so whether you're a designer or whether you're even if you're you know producer or you're new film or photography or you're that that communications director and you're like oh i can do the website no i mean you could spend your sure anyone can go on youtube and learn how to do things but the, the, there are those small things that you know are gonna just they're gonna trip you up and it's gonna take you like six hours how to figure out one little thing um and like oh how do i do a you know dns uh forwarding or whatever it is and <laughs> just to give i don't even know what that means but every time i i run into that i'm like calling uh what is this and you're like oh yeah i can do that and it takes me two seconds uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, it, because there are those little things that just kind of trip you up just like if I'm doing video and someone has a question, you know, I can usually, you know, I'm like, this isn't working. I can, you know, often at times tell them, oh, just, you know, do you do keyboard shortcut or, you know, whatever it is. And, <laughs> you know, you, you, except I spent that time in that sweet spot, it just takes me significantly, like a fraction of what it would take someone else to figure to problem solve. Yeah. And I, I guess something that I find it really helpful to to sort of relate to is, um, two, two months after I moved into my house, um, my dishwasher totally busted and I spent probably three or four weeks just trying to fix it myself. Cause I just moved into my house. Cash was really strapped. It was kind of scary. Um, and I ended up spending a lot of time and getting super frustrated. And eventually I had to call someone from home Depot. Anyways, they came in and they were able to fix it in a matter of like 20 minutes. Um, but but on top of that, um, the person from Home Depot also told me, hey, you know, this is why your washing machine broke. And this is what you could do to prevent that next time. So not only was there value in bringing an expert to fix my problem, the expert was also able to teach me how to not have the same problems in the future. Um, so I think there's something to be said for when you're learning a completely new skill, trusting the expert to guide you through the process and really working to find someone who's not only going to fix your problem for you, but is also going to teach you why the problem happened in the first place, how you can avoid it in the future. And that ultimately helps you uh, do better in your business. Because I think, uh, you know, overall, anyone who is a kind of a creative in that space, they're going to be good at something. And they may have a kind of a bait. I mean, I think it's important to have a baseline in everything else. So you at least understand. So let's say photographer, you like you wouldn't be able to understand like how video works, a basic understanding of how things work. But at the same time, realize know when to uh like know when to like back out and know what's your core strength and know when to like in your case a dishwasher like well you now you understand how that dishwasher works but you brought someone along to help you in that space and walk you along to kind of get you up to speed on the basics um and because some, sometimes it just makes more sense to really have someone in that space who can kind of help you guide you along the way um just like i, I know in my case so even just say for example with this podcast you know, I, I'd been thinking about the podcast for almost a year now and had done an initial trial episode, um, but it was kind of getting your help in terms of like figuring out platforms and figuring out um, just kind of setting some things up with the website that I wanted to have that was, was super helpful because having, um, it's okay to bring someone on board who's going to help you achieve your goals 
especially when they're not in, it's an area that's not in your strength. Um, and so I, I didn't know too, if you have any, any other ideas of, um, like for example, within your, your space in your company, in what ways have you been able to find other people to help in areas that, that aren't your strengths? Um, and, and what that's looked like for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, um, specifically when it comes to graphic design projects, um, I have a very specific style. I love minimalist. I, uh, if you look around my house, you'll see that every single thing that I own is an Apple device that should tell you about my design aesthetic right away. Um, but the fact is, is sometimes a client will come to me and that's not the style they're going to go for. And, um, before when it was like just me or it was just one other person on my team, I would try and replicate that style. I would try and do that thing. Um, and eventually I realized, you know what? I'm not good at this style. Um, um, so that's when it became a point where I realized I need to hire someone who is good at this style, um, especially and and that's, I'd say, an area where not only like where you probably don't want to outsource, you probably want to bring someone on board if it's something regarding a service that you offer or an area of expertise, um, get people with uh, different tastes, different backgrounds, uh, different styles, um, because ultimately having those different perspectives and different inputs is going to make your service offering stronger. No, and I think... I think have, having people you could pull from because at times you people a client wants a different style and so no matter how hard you try to work, I think it just it'd be really hard for you to produce something in a style that's not your own. And so one of the things I know I've really found out is, um, you know, trust that people could always do like what they've done, um, especially within style. So you would you would never ask someone who like oh I know you're you're a great jazz musician. Could you play this, uh, you know, that rock and roll song for me at a concert or, Hey, I know you're a hip hop artist, but do you think you could compose a classical piece? Um, like we would never expect that, but at the same time, we'll sometimes expect, um, people who operate in this, this one space, um, to be able to do, um, like just assume, Oh yeah, you could do this too. Cause it's like using a camera and a you know, tripod, but, but it doesn't work. And so actually at one point <laughs> just recently got, burned a little bit where someone was asking for a referral. Like this guy wanted to film his kid's soccer game for recruiters and you know, I couldn't do it. And it was, you know, someone else couldn't do it. And so I was like, well, I, I know this guy who does some filming and he has some great examples, but more of them were like story pieces. And you no, know, I refer to him, but then he ended up doing just kind of a terrible job, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, well, sorry, but um, you know, I wasn't subcontracting. It was just more referral, but a lot of his stuff was just different, completely different style. And so the stuff was shaky. The focus was off since mm. he hadn't really done that kind of a soccer game style before. And so I think that's where you really have to be able to pull from people who can do different things in different styles. Cause it's not just, Oh yeah, you can design, do graphic design. It's you can do graphic design and these styles are your, you know, your sweet spots or you're a photographer and all your stuff is very artsy and they expect them to do something news style, you know? And so everyone really has eventually people develop style what they're good at and they have the ability to branch out but you don't want to assume that they're going to be able to branch out if you haven't seen something like that before absolutely and i think that's something to consider if you're a creative person a part of a creative team and you're thinking of outsourcing something make sure you look at work examples um be absolutely sure that the person that you're thinking of hiring on um is going to, they're going to create something that will probably look a lot like what they have in their portfolio so that's something really important to consider and as far as you know, attracting the kinds of clients that are going to want what you want, it's really important to get clear on who you're attracting. Because if you are, you know, for example, if you're a creative team, and you're attracting everybody, then you're going to get all kinds of clients who want these different styles and want different offerings that you're probably not equipped to offer. Um, so I, I think there's a responsibility both as 
when you're a client hiring someone out to do something for you um, to make sure that their portfolio, their style is consistent with what you want. Um, there's also responsibility for creative teams to make sure that they present themselves clearly to clients so you don't end up attracting the wrong person or promising something that you ultimately can't deliver. Now, was that because we bring us to a good point where, you know, deciding who your audience is. I know one of the things you guys do is, is kind of walk people through that ideal client exercise. So, so most of the times, so when people are starting off, you say, well, who are you trying to attract? The typical answer you get is everyone. And so, I mean, I even had a, you know, I, I had a kind of a consultation with a, a restaurant close to where I live. And, um, you know, on this street, I mean, there's just tons of restaurants. They're all niche. There's a Spanish tapas, there's Thai food, there's ice cream. And so at one point, this restaurant was wanting to switch from from doing just coffee and ice cream to doing dinner. I was like, oh, well, who are you trying to attract? Like, they're like, everyone, which, I mean, yes, everyone's money probably is green, yet you're not going to be known on a restaurant, a street that has 40 other restaurants. You're not going to draw people in by appealing to everyone. And so what is the that process, especially in the creative space, of really honing in on your niche? And um, how helpful do you find that to be to actually think through a character you know, character persona? Oh, I would say it's absolutely essential. Um, anytime we take on a client that we're doing like a serious big scale project for, um, it is the first thing that we do. And sometimes we make our clients do that before we even get into the project so that we know that we're going to be able to deliver a good service for them. Um, so I, I would say it is it is absolutely crucial. It's foundational. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, do it now. And the way that you really get started with doing that, I think starts from looking inward, looking at um, who are the kinds of people that you want to work with? Who are the kind of people who walk through the door and you're like, yep, that person, I want to help them. Um, Who are the kind of people that if money wasn't a consideration, those are the people that you would want to spend your time with. Those are the people that you are passionate about seeing succeed. Once you start to narrow down who that person is, and I'll tell you that that person for me was my parents. Um, my parents uh, have always had me involved in the family business. Um, we had alpacas. We've had a lavender farm. We had a restaurant. Uh, they have done it all. Um, and I am very grateful to them that I was able to be a part of those experiences because it taught me that um, small business owners are really passionate. They care a lot about what they do. Um, and that kind of passion to me is infectious when I see someone saying, oh, you know, I just created this new product. I have this new idea and I want to get it out into the world. Um I'm the kind of person who'll be like, yeah, I can help you with that. I can help you find an audience. I can help you start selling and monetizing that product. Um, so that 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 once I started really thinking about like, huh, who have I absolutely loved working with? Um, I was able to come up with that person. And then, of course, I went through the formal process of like, you know, figuring out demographic, psychographic information, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that complicated when you start out. You can really just think... Um, who are the people that I've worked with that got me excited? Who are the people that I really would love to spend more of my time with? And that is your ideal client. And so how specific do you try to get when thinking through ideal clients? When you're first starting out, you can start general, um, especially if you don't have a lot of experience. Um, it might end up being that, you know, it's uh, the my ideal client is small business owners. I know that you know they they tend to be you know working in food service or they tend to be working at a law firm or or something like that. You know you you sort of get a general idea, but really once you have a list of at least five clients who are pretty close 
to your ideal client, you can start to think, okay, you know, pretty consistently, my clients were 40 to 55 year old women who have two kids and, you know, they, they go to church on Sundays and their favorite book list is by Oprah. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to describe my mom at this point, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that kind of stuff, like once you, once you start to, um, really get specific, uh, with the clients that you've worked with, you can you can pick apart that information. And if you're really not sure, just ask. Um, when you want to know, you know, what kind of news publication someone follows, so that you can put together a Facebook ad, um, talk to one of your clients. Say, hey, you know, what do you do for fun on Saturdays? Um, or ask them, you know, what what worries keep you up at night? Um, if if they're your ideal client and they enjoyed working with you too, they will be happy to tell you those things. Um, and furthermore, those kinds of people are usually the types of clients that will refer you to other clients that are just like them. So it's really important to uh, hone in on that ideal client. And if you're not sure what the exact nitty gritty specifics that you need for uh, for narrowing down that picture, just ask. No, absolutely. And I think you know, that's the thing that is extremely helpful. Just you, if you can't think through who you're trying to attract um, and at least imagine what that ideal person is, then you're going to have a harder time finding them. (laughs) You know, if you say, Hey, I just want to shoot for everyone and then hope my ideal client walks in the door. uh, I mean, like, good luck, you know, but if you're going to be much better off going for your ideal client, pitching for them, and then, you know, narrowing it down a little bit. At the same time, helping people be self-selective. So, um, you know, if you paint a picture of, Hey, this is who we love to work with. And if you can weed out bad clients before they even have to give you a call or before you have to get three quarters of the way through a project and realize like things aren't going well, then, Hey, you've saved yourself a lot of time and money. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point. And that's something that I don't think gets brought up is as much as you think about who your ideal client is and who are the people you loved working with. Um, maybe also keep a short list to the people you hated working with the people who drove you absolutely nuts. Uh, the people that you ended up spending half a year or two years, or in my case, this actually happened four years designing a website for yes, that actually four happened. Years. I, wow. This was before I developed airtight contracts. Um, <laughs> like keep a list of the people you don't like working with and then you know when someone walks to the door and you're in the discovery phase trying to figure out whether or not you're going to work together if they state start saying you know like all these red flag things that pop up for you you can instantly say you know hey i i'm excited about your idea that's awesome i just don't think we're a good fit for each other and you're doing both yourself and your client a favor by doing that yeah i think uh, you're right as much as you can weed out bad clients before you start working together um the more the better, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, anytime you can say no to something that's going to be a bad idea, you've just saved yourself potentially hours of hours of headache, um, down the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, at one point we had a project where we were, you know, working on it and they needed to have two videos, animated videos, but the only reason they needed to have two was because they had a donor who gave them money for two and they couldn't actually articulate a good, like a good reason oh. for one of that. And so like three months into this, we started. Like we couldn't come to agreement on a script where, you know, they um, like we'd give them a script and they would bounce around this organization and they would add all these things onto it that weren't essential. And then finally I had to tell them, I was like, look, we, I think we can like ever like three months into this process, everyone has already lost momentum. They're demoralized. And I was like, no, we can't like, we can do one video for you, but we, I, don't, I just don't think we can do two. And he's like, Oh, well, sorry. Like we have to work with two. And then, so we ended up, you know, giving them some money back um from the deposit and honestly it was just like such a huge relief because i was like wow we um like that could 
gone really wrong, just really bad, considering the fact that we didn't have a, a script. And I think I, I, I saw on their YouTube that like, like a year and a half or two years later, they finally got the videos they were trying to do that we didn't want. And they like looked terrible and weren't very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were just, I was like, oh, that's glad we got out of that one. <laughs> Whew. Dodged a bullet there. Dodged a bullet there. Yeah. yeah. So, so I know too, I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of getting the nitty gritty of a business logistics and whether you hire someone as a contractor or as an employee. So I know on your end, you've kind of, um, you know, you have the, um, the ability of kind of bouncing back and forth between, you know, Canada and the U S uh, as dual citizen um, still. So I know you started off in Canada and then, you know, moved to Florida um, and were able to kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. And so I'm guessing in your end, um, you know, you have people working for you, I think believe in different states or different parts of Florida yeah, no. different different states. Yeah, and what has that process been like of deciding whether to go for you know hire contractors who can work on board or employees? So I know on my end early on, I was like, oh, it'd be fun to like have employees in different states, and I decided to to hire someone who's in California. Little did I know, if you have just one employee in the state of California, they they charge you eight hundred dollars a year for the that I found this out like two years later. I was like, oh wait, you were supposed to file for all this stuff and so it eventually caught up with me and you know i don't know about you but i could think of a lot of other things i'd rather do with eight hundred dollars than pay the state of california you know eight hundred dollars and when it really this person should have been a contractor who i was hiring as um on a per project basis and because this guy did fantastic work but it's more of just you know having an employee who is full-time for some creative projects at times it just doesn't work well um especially when you need to pick a different service or you need a different style and having that flexibility and so obviously i'm not trying to advocate that people should pay their contractors when they are truly our employees and there's that test you can do but what do you feel like has worked well for you over the last several years as you've been in business well yeah i I definitely do want to preface this with it it can get dicey if you bring on people and they're basically an employee but you're treating them like a subcontractor so always make sure you're doing the right thing first. And then if you're not sure, always consult with legal help before you proceed. Yeah, neither um, one of us are, are uh, you know, legal advice. That, that's but, it. But we'll share from our past experience. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I am not a lawyer. I will absolutely say that out loud. Um, but for me, uh, I, it, it does kind of depend on the person. And usually when I'm thinking about bringing someone on board, I make sure to just flat out ask them, okay, what are your goals here? Like, do you want to work with a company and grow with that company and, you know, see your role as, as full time and expanding out? Um, or maybe are you looking at doing your own freelance thing? Are you interested in just working half time? Are you interested in working quarter time? Um, so starting there, um, even, even if you have an idea in mind of what you want the position to be, just asking, I think makes, makes the person who's being asked feel valued and they stop to think, you know, okay, what are my goals here? Um, and typically the way that's worked out, uh, just because of the way that, um, people, people my age work right now is a a lot of people that I work with tend to say, oh, you know what? I really want to do my own thing half time, but I would love to have steady income. Um, so it would be preferable to me if I could work half time as a contractor. Um, and that's usually how it starts out. And then if they are a absolutely brilliant fit for the team, um, I'm speaking directly to Evan, uh, who is like legend, and uh, he's he's probably gonna end up listening to this podcast because I know he's a subscriber. Um, he's like the glue that holds my business together. Um, it, there's there's situations like that where where somebody he started off um, like super part time, like 
10 hours a week max. Um, and then it was just kind of like there was a time where he was just working like on a per project basis for me. And that's just like slowly ramped, 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 and ramped, uh, ramped and ramped over time um, to the point where, you know, he, he is he is like the, the core of my business. And that worked really well for me. Um, and similarly, I, I'm, I'm in the process of hiring on some other people working part time and scaling up their hours. Um, so that is an option. Um, I, I think it totally just depend on your business. Um, but I would say if it lines up with their goals, going the subcontractor route first in order to make sure they're a good fit for your business can be a really excellent way to make sure that they are cohesive with your team. Um, and then their goals can grow and line up with your goals long term. No, and I think too, especially in the creative space, there's almost that expectation of being able to do more like contract work or per project. I mean, even as you look at roles such as uh, like communications director, like there's now a lot more companies are doing more like fractional, like so fractional CMO or fractional this, or it's kind of like that latest term for like part time. Though I mean, fractional does sound kind of cool than more <laughs> than than I'm your part time, you know you know communications director or something like that um and especially the one thing i find is that especially creatives is they they do want to be able to like push themselves and you know and it's a lot easier to switch and say hey i'm going to go do this project too as well and being able to allow that flexibility because the one thing i found is that when i when i have had employees is that you know when they first come on board i'm able to provide all these new opportunities for growth but then after a period of several years i they start reaching the point where I can no longer push them in areas that they want to grow. And they they have to be able to look for other opportunities for growth if they want to keep growing and not being stagnant. Um, and at that point, you know, I, you know, they, if, if they're working full time, like I'm just not going to be able to provide those opportunities for growth that they need. Um, and I'm almost doing, almost doing them a disservice by kind of not having those opportunities for them. And I think, so I think it's a little different by industry. So if you're, let's say you're a, uh, just like a nurse or a teacher, like you, it's, it's, it's much harder to say, oh, well, I'm a nurse and I'm going to go off and start my part-time, you know, hospital. <laughs> like that just doesn't work. But but if you're a creative, you can say, yeah, well, I do websites. I'm a photographer on the side. I want to pick up those things. And those things are great for continuing to grow. And I think it's important to make sure you have a structure that allows that to happen where people can take on those things and, and continue gr- like learning on their own for things they want to learn, not necessarily like on their dime and so i know one of the things i appreciate about you is that i mean in the world of, of website design and proposals like things are constantly changing there's constantly new software coming out and if, if you had to pay someone to stay up to date on those things you would be paying them a lot of money to learn things just for you but one of the things i love is i can tap in and say hey what's going on in this space what would you recommend for website hosting and i don't know how many hours you spend researching but it seems like you spend a lot of time researching <laughs> <laughs> a lot um I, I i yeah i take a lot of courses i do a lot of reading um it, it's kind of my life <laughs> yeah, do you have any idea how much time do you think you spend like learning a week at least 10 hours. So 10 hours is yeah, just like learning, a, a researching. A quarter of my time is absolutely spent learning, um, becoming better at my craft, figuring out what are the new trends um, and keeping an eye out for that. And I, I, I think that kind of loops back to some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, where um, if you want to keep operating in your zone of genius and doing what you are best at, you can't learn everything. You can't stay up to date on everything. Um, so that's when it kind of becomes the time to say, hey, you know, this other person is really an expert in this area. I'm just going to hire them to do it for me because they're passionate about it. They're spending 10 hours a week learning 
um, because they have to for their job, sure, but also because they're passionate about it. Like I, <laughs> sometimes when I just want to relax in the evening, I'll start reading about like the latest developments in HTML. Um, <laughs> you want a nerd like that on your team? No, absolutely, and I think you especially want them on your on your team. It, even better if they're you know as a contractor, because in this case, you know, I get I get to tap into that expertise. Yet I'm not paying you ten hours a week to learn, but you're learning things that you want to learn. And then when it comes into paying you that time. That's where I, I feel like I always get a great deal because it's like, yeah, all this research you're doing on your own, like that's really valuable and I get to tap into that expertise. Um, and there have been times before where I've had someone on staff who I'm try- who's not operating in their zone of expertise and then I'm paying them to learn something that's I'm not really going to sell and it just doesn't really turn in that, that good of a deal because you know, during work hours, they might be spending, yeah, that five to 10 hours and it's not something we're regularly offering. They're just learning something, you know, to learn it in this way. But if you are hiring someone who's in that, narrow area of expertise and you can get them for you know a few hours a week or you know for a particular project you're just really going to get a better deal Um, and i think in a lot of cases even organizations i've worked with at times they'll try to you know either keep things in house or have have someone else do it but then you know what happens is that person you know two years later moves and you spend all that time investing in that narrow expertise for them to learn something that maybe wasn't your core competency and then they just moved and, and took that with them and you kind of like lost that ability. But if yeah. you'd kind of kept that long-term relationship with a contractor, they could continue to work with them, you know, over the course of multiple years. Yeah. And that's something to keep in mind too, is, uh, you know, good or bad, I'm not going to make a judgment here, but the fact of the matter is, is that people don't stay in jobs as long as they used to. Um, all the studies say, you know, people used to you know go to Ford Motor Company and they would work with Ford for life that doesn't happen anymore. People are constantly thinking like, okay, I'm gonna work with this company for a little while, but it's a stepping stone to my real job that I want um, down the line. I'm just staying here for the experience or for the title or what have you. Um, One of the advantages of outsourcing something specifically, if it's not something that is going to be a core part of your business is as you described, you don't run that risk of investing a lot of time in an employee, paying them a lot of money, giving them all the expertise, and then they go somewhere else. That that does happen. Um, so there is definitely value to hiring out an expert in those situations. No, I mean, and I think there is, there is definitely a lot of value in terms of building kind of like great teams in-house that can, in terms of the camaraderie you get. But I think there also are ways to kind of be intentional about building, you know, some of that camaraderie with people, you know, long distance or, you know, outsource. And just, I think one of the ways of doing that is also just through video calls where you can kind of see and connect um, you know, at previous episode with Chris McNiven, where he said you know, they have a remote team and they um, they just try to schedule time where at the beginning of a call where they don't just jump into business, but they actually take time to, you know, talk about things, to laugh and to kind of bring stuff up that they might not otherwise just being on an agenda. Um, so either way, I think there's ways to create um, you know, that kind of that team atmosphere. And it, I think everyone just has to evaluate what's best for them. Um, but at the same time too, you know, you're right. I have seen, you know, have seen people where they have, they bring in the in-house employees and, um, depending on the area, then, you know, two years or a year and a half later, that person goes and yes, you spend a lot of time trying to create that, but at the end, um, like people just moved on. And so I think every team is different. And some of it, I think too, does depend on geography and, the nature of your business, the nature of your the organization or whatever you work with. But, um, you know, there's definitely a, a way, there's definitely pros and cons to either one. But I think the biggest thing is helping people think through what's a good fit for them and helping them, you know, learn lessons on, on their own. And I think the biggest thing has to do with, 
is it your core competency or is it just you need that narrow area of expertise? Yeah. And I, I think that also circles back to, you know, if you're deciding to bring someone on as an employee contractor, um, just talk with them, honestly, before you bring them on your team and whatever role you decide they're going to be on, ask them, you know, what are your personal goals? What are your professional goals? What are the skills you want to develop? You know, where do you see yourself in five years? And when you ask those questions, um, people tend to answer honestly, and you can kind of see, oh, okay, so this is someone who's going to be here. They want to be here for the long haul. And then you can know that you can invest that time, create those opportunities for them to really like grow your business. Um, But I I think it's a good idea to just ask people before they get on board and just check in with them regularly, like once once every year, once every quarter, say, how are things going in the business? Um, Are we helping you achieve your personal development goals, your professional development goals? Um, And if you've if you've done the right job, and you've brought on the right people, they will tell you honestly, and you can make decisions from there. Because I think ultimately, to you, you always want to make sure that people on your team, especially in that creative space, are are continuing to grow. Because if they aren't in in that space, then you know eventually they're gonna like they're gonna need to move somewhere else, and you're mm-hmm. gonna lose that that investment that you've that you've built in, into them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know everybody wants to make more money, of course. So that's gonna be a consideration, location, blah blah, all these other factors. Um, but I find at the end of the day, what keeps people at a job is that they feel personally, professionally fulfilled, and they feel like they have a purpose. Um, and if you are helping someone feel professionally and personally fulfilled, they will feel like they have a purpose, um, especially if they believe in the mission of your business. Um, and that is super important to growing a healthy creative team, whether they're an employee or a contractor. Yeah. And I think too, also, you know, just making sure that if they're in a location that they, um, you know, they like choose to be in. So I know in this case, you know, you've been able to pull from people and, um, they could, you weren't asking them to move, but they could actually, you know, live wherever they wanted to, right? So this kid, because most of your team is pretty much virtual, right? Okay. And, um, cause I know, I know like, so I've lived in the DC area and, you know, at times I have asked people to move for, you know, for the job to be in the, be like in proximity, but, but not everyone is a good fit. I mean, DC can be kind of a tough, um, like fast paced grind, you know, at times it, it can be at times harder to find community. And so I know that's been one of the struggles where I've asked people to, to move, um, where after a while they just kind of get burnt out with the city, you know, mm-hmm. especially it is a very transient area. Yeah. And, um, after a while people just are ready to move on. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I personally am in the, this process of switching to using more contractors and just letting people be remote and saying, Hey, if you live in the DC area, I can use you, um, or being able to pull people, um, who are remote. And just be like, you know, you're okay with being remote because I want you to be in a spot, a location that you're happy with. And um, and if, you know, you've already made the choice to move then and, and live in the D.C. area, then I'm sure we can make make it work. Um, but that's where I've realized is that people are willing to move. But if they're willing to move to D.C., eventually they'll be willing to move away from D.C. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's it. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a slightly different situation where I, I moved to Stewart about a year ago. And right now I'm in the process of finding people here. Um, and I guess... I'm I'm finding that uh, it's actually it, it's 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 not as much of a challenge for me to find people here because people who live in this area chose to live here or they've been living here for a while. Um, so I haven't had to ask anybody to relocate, <laughs> and that that does help. So you know, for the people that I have as a part of my team, I'm always going to look for the top talent. Um, so that means that I'm going to pick people remotely. Um, but it just so happens that there are a lot of people who are talented who are in the Stewart area, and I want to bring them on board of my team. Um, so I, it, it it can be tricky, but if you if you have the opportunities to bring someone onto your team and they 
already moved to the area where you're at, that definitely does sort of lower the barrier because they chose to live there and that's where they want to be. No, because so it is interesting because I had heard that especially more like millennials and kind of the younger generation is almost less likely to move further than previous generations. Huh. So it almost kind of goes, was against what I would have thought um, that, you know, like, oh yeah, like the world and all connected and people are willing to move everywhere. But I guess in some ways there was this kind of back in the older generations were a little more willing to move for a job, maybe because they viewed it as more, I don't know whether they viewed it as more permanent or what it was, mm. but so millennials uh, you know, and younger are almost less likely to move for a job maybe it's i don't know if it's because more community is important or that younger like i'm not sure what the answer is i'd have to to look that up but that's is something to keep in mind that's interesting you're I, looking at attracting talent and yeah. finding the right 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 people huh that's yeah that's 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 neat i hadn't heard that before another um factor i suppose is maybe the rise of remote jobs has meant that millennials don't have to move as far um, and if you're already in an area and you're familiar with it and you can have your dream job and you can do it uh you know from your home that might be another contributing factor um i don't know that for sure but that's just that's interesting to hear yeah and i, and I think it's more yeah because at times i know i was uh the first person who i was working with who was in california at one point he was t- tell it said he, he told me he was talking to his parents and they're like wait so you work with someone on the other side of the states who you've never met before like how does that work and and they were you know, like a little bit surprised but that is the the reality of the world and the way that especially creative teams in many ways are going yeah yeah definitely especially creative teams um in fact like i mean obviously i live in a bubble because i uh, i do all my stuff online but it seems like the trend is for creatives increasingly finding job opportunities online um, because we're better connected um it's easier to find those opportunities than you know back in the old days where you'd have to go shake down all the local businesses with hey hire me i should be your designer <laughs> no absolutely well hey well thanks colin it has been great having you on the podcast and what is the best way if people want to get a hold of you or check out your stuff oh the best thing to do is to go to beltcreative.com that's b-e-l-t like you wear around your waist creative.com we've got all kinds of awesome resources uh, for learning how to do your own website for learning how to run your business Um, so please drop on by and i'd love to hear from you all right awesome well thanks so much for uh being part of the podcast and i know uh you've been a huge help for me and i hope uh you know this this podcast is able to help people think through things that they want to might not have thought through and um you know invite them to check out your resources that you have um and even i know i've loved uh, the proposify templates that you have and um just getting on board there is that i love being able to include a video in the proposal um that i something i couldn't do before so i think my proposals have come a long ways from you know simple um like one page um, <laughs> you know, like quickbooks estimate to oh gosh, uh, or or definitely like oh <laughs> or a couple word, years ago i was yeah. using uh, actual paper proposals and that was ghastly yeah <laughs> and so there's a and there's just so many new ways of doing mundane or routine things and there's probably a service out there that can help you do it much better yeah definitely and thank you so much for having me on the podcast this has been awesome all right well thanks for joining and um have a good one all right you too all right you're listening to the no fat cats podcast where we help high performing creative teams get even better i'm your host wesley dean and this has been a conversation with colin belt from belt creative I know that after my conversation with Colin, I was definitely reminded of the importance of operating in my genius zone and or that zone where I can really thrive. And uh, it's a good reminder not to try to do everything, but to focus on uh, saying no. And so one of my goals is to really focus on 
saying no to things that uh, really are just going to be a drag. Because, you know, there's definitely projects, I'm sure you're aware of them, where you kind of do them, um, you know, because maybe you need to, need to or you, there was, you know, a donor, or you have to pay the bills. And I definitely get there. I've definitely been that. But uh, success, one of the sure signs of success is being able to say no to things and being able to focus on only the things that you're best on. So I know that's the thing that I'm really going to be focusing on moving forward and hope that you are too. Up next, we're going to have a conversation with Grace Kabuya where we look at the importance of narratives and especially look at how nonprofits and, and development organizations that work in places like Africa, how they can be careful about making sure they paint narratives that really help uplift uh, local people. And how do you balance telling a story that is engaging for like a Western donor from the U.S. Uh, and balancing one that is going to be engaging with one that is uplifting for um, you know the people who are featured in the video. So that is going to be an exciting conversation if you um, work at all outside the U.S. in with nonprofits. So until then, have a great week and see you next time. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.